Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. This uh, evening, what we've decided to um, do in the teaching team is that um, we'll both uh, speak some about uh, practice. So I'll try to uh, use the 21st minutes and leave the 20 last uh, minutes to Anushka. And we want to um, partly uh, tie loose hands, um, is that the expression in English, where we might uh, have a feeling that there's some things that might be important to name that we haven't uh, named pieces of the Dharma, aspects of these uh, this, uh, philosophy or practices. And um, I think we uh, wanted the whole team, team for me to touch a little bit more on um, the bubble, the bubbly bubble aspect that I uh, spoke about uh, this morning in the series uh, of images. The bubbles of uh, pleasure, displeasure uh, that uh, arise uh, here and there in our life or the phenomena also of neutrality which uh, really exists as part of our experience and meaningful when things are neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So, um, uh, so the, 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 the standard um, kind of reaction that we have when we meet these, uh, these um, tonality in our lives is um, check this out if it's true for you that when uh, human beings they meet what is pleasant often uh, not always but quite often they will um, get tensed you know kind of clingy oh my god it's so good I want it to last you know will I be able to secure this or produce more of this or get more of this because it's good and so often it will come with uh, fear or uh, yeah, clinging of some sort. And so it's a stressful way to live, to uh, either search for it, and when we get it, to actually fear that we're going to lose it. And, uh, and that's why there's the image of the Buddha, uh, of the bubble, I think, trying to tell us, hey, you know, it's ephemeral. So see if you can learn to actually feel... Uh, these things and uh, and allow them also to disappear. So that's the teaching. Often we cling like this. We can uh, easily cling to something that was meaningful or beautiful that happened in the past. Huh? That's absolutely human, human nature. Understandable. It makes absolute sense that we would. Ah, uh, back then, you know, and we we haven't noticed that it's gone, or we don't agree that it's gone. You know? So in the development of wisdom, we learn maybe how to 
um, go through the process maybe of grieving. Yeah, it is gone. It's gone. You know, and allow for life to be dynamic as it is, for things to arise and pass. We can do this also with um, things of the future. We can project pleasure, satisfaction, security, and want it, huh? want to keep it. It's very, I find it very poignant how we do this. I have a flash of um, somebody who was uh, teaching here in the hall, I think, a teacher, and was describing at some point uh, having won um, some kind of a national... Uh, wrestling contest and uh, they got their um, trophy or whatever they you know in the, on the podium and uh, they said they 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 were like this like raising their hand like as the winner of the contest you know and they said as my hand reached the end of its uh, little run here like this in the crowd i saw somebody who was young and upcoming and strong you know, and the immediate was like, oh no, <laughs> you know, and they said it was very poignant for them. It was a kind of an insight, you know, and it's like, I won the national contest. No, this person is going to get me, you know, and so it lasted just a second. It's to me, it's very poignant and wow, that's how, is it elusive, the word? Oh, wow, it can crumble just the idea that I might lose something already is uh, yeah so I remember for me something that I was kind of hooked on was um, and I would do this during the retreats and actually one of the, the time that there's one time I became conscious of it I was actually sitting in this hall and what I would do as a person living with HIV and the difficulties ar around this was to actually take pauses, breaks in the meditation to actually uh, think of my life without HIV, you know, the other life. And so I would sit there and, okay, I've been here, it's difficult being here. What if I, you know? And then, oh, I could do this and do that and, uh, when I meet people and when I travel with this. And, oh, my God, I would feel so free. And, and, uh, and I would do this actually very, very regularly. I would, I would spend a certain amount of my life dreaming, ho hoping, uh, fantasizing in all these ways, you know. And so one time, because there had been um, mindfulness prior to, you know, I had been attentive, there was a buildup. At some point in the middle of that fantasy, I kind of woke up. And the insight was, first, that it was not reality. You know, it was actually a fiction. It was not what was actually happening. And plus, in my fantasy, everything was pleasant. <laughs> I don't know here if there's other peop people who are not HIV positive and if their life is absolutely pleasant from beginning to end. <laughs> But in my fantasy, like there was only a succession of, uh, you know, comfort and ease and meaning and richness and, you know. And, uh, and so I woke up to this and saw the delusion in that creation, you know. 
And also, every time I was coming back here, it was pretty disappointing, you know? And in that moment, so around that kind of uh, beauty, pleasure, uh, as, as fantasy, I noticed that it was actually not that helpful. It was kind of made up. Um, it, it, it was not reality. And in the way that it touched me more deeply was... Um, suddenly I realized that I actually now, not before, but now at this moment, I actually wanted to be engaged with reality. Like I had a choice here. And it seemed like being engaged with fantasy seemed cheap in some way suddenly. I didn't know that before. I was investing in that. But at that moment, there was a kind of a decision point and, or clarity. And there was something really yeah, kind of clear or deep, or I actually want to commit to life, this life. And there was a turning in terms of uh, energy or I don't, vision, or, you know, like I actually want to be engaged with life, this life, this crooked life, this imperfect life. This is where I want my energy to go now. And... Uh, there was a kind of a visual of uh, kind of getting married to my life, you know, and I was like, there, are you going to cherish your life, you know, and, yeah, <laughs> tears, you know, yeah, from now on, I'm not going to think about other lives, you know, <laughs> when I go to bed at night, I'm going to cherish this life that I'm uh, in bed with, you know, and in the morning I'm going to cherish this life. And when I walk in the street, I'm not going to look at others' life, you know. <laughs> I'm going to cherish this life. And it was actually very liberating. There was a kind of an accepting of the acceptance of the difficulty, the nature, the form it took. And uh, it, liber- it, it freed energy that was stuck in, uh, you know, dreaming of another version, you know. And so uh, I was hooked on a, a, what we call a feeling tone. Vedana is the word in Pali of pleasure. You know? And at other times in my life, like you, I think I've been hooked on uh, unpleasant feelings that are actually not there, like uh, the idea that there might be that situation happening and the eventual uh, un- unpleasantness or deep uh, uh, displeasure or th- in this whole range of pain that could be could spend a lot of time uh, hooked on something that is not but could be you know so it, the insight in there is that we might not need the actual thing just the fabrication in the mind is enough to keep us uh, bound yeah, and so somewhere in the texts, and I think it's not from the Buddha, but uh, from a thousand years after in the Visuddhimagga, an old old text, where it talks about how human beings. I, I uh, I'm a little um, vulnerable. I think there's a. I've been on retreat also. Actually, we've been on two retreats here, so we've. So I feel the end, the, the kind of the fragility of the end. 
And so in one of the texts, it says something. It says, um, how can how one can be uh, overpowered by the powerless? Overpowered by the powerless. And to me, what I'm talking about talks about this, the idea of unpleasantness. I might be totally overpowered by the uh, the what, what has no power can overpower me when I'm a little deluded, which makes sense that we would, you know. And so the practice here for me is to clarify this. Oh, this is an idea. It's a production of the mind. It's actually not there. I don't need to be overpowered by the powerless. It's so sad that one would be overpowered by something that has no power except the power we give it in our delusion, in our confusion. So there's a tremendous possibility for liberation there by knowing that a thought is a thought, a fabrication of mind is that, a projection, an anticipation is just that. I think there's some adjustments that we can make in the way we hold things that can be liberating for us. Uh, I'm not saying this is easy, but that seems that doesn't count on that path, (laughs) the fact that it's easy or not, you know. Is it doable to free oneself from that kind of uh, mistaken, uh, you know? Do you, are you following me a bit when I talk about this? Overpowered by the powerless? Uh, this is something I've seen many times in my life, projecting satisfaction on something and needing it absolutely to find out that it was not providing absolutely, you know. And so I had been overpowered in some way uh, by my projections, my uh, putting satisfaction where it's not or creating things that are not exactly happening right now, you know. It's all very delicate stuff, but um, we could take this as, um, you know, a matter for um, further reflection, for investigation, for exploration. Just another little uh, idea around this uh, theme of uh, pleasure, displeasure, neutrality, Vedana, in the Pali pronounced in the American way. Vedana. (laughs) Vedana. That's with the French accent. So at the time of the Buddha, there was one very, very wise being. She was called Dhammadina, very respected practitioner. And at some point, somebody is asking her about feeling tone, about that theme, that aspect of our experience. 
and uh, this person said, you know, tell me something I don't know about this kind of. And Damadina, she said a bunch of things, I think, but one thing that's to me has been a, a kind of a, a, a really good element of research. I've heard that and I thought, oh, I actually want to go check it out and I've spent a number of hours checking this out. As uh, she said, uh, first two things that I thought are extremely kind of both obvious and extremely deep and wise. She said, oh, you know, pleasant, when it ends, it's often unpleasant. <laughs> and then unpleasant, when it ends, it's often pleasant. I, I don't know, I, I, it was kind of shocking for me to, <laughs> like I know it's basic, but it's also deep, you know, like, oh, is this person suggesting that they contain each other? You know, like, interesting, just that, anyway. But after, she says something that sounds, that I'm going to paraphrase here, but uh, seems like she's saying something like, uh, and uh, what is neutral, so doesn't stand out as pleasurable or unpleasurable, what is neutral when uh, met without um, mindfulness, without presence, you know, is often unpleasant. And uh, neutrality, something that is neutral, when met with uh, high quality awareness, often becomes pleasant. And so in a situation like this one here where there's a, a certain amount of neutrality, huh? like we're sitting, we're just sitting, or breathing, you know, breathing for many of us, not for all of us and at all, the all times, but is often quite neutral. You know, like, oh, I love the breath, I delight in the breath, or I hate, which is actually possible too. But most of the time it's just the breath, you know, some, something quite neutral. And uh, anyway, it's felt like this for me. And when I started practicing, becoming aware of uh, breathing or sitting or hearing, were things pretty neutral? Are things pretty neutral? But I didn't have much attention. So very quickly it would become disagreeable. You know, like, what do you mean? Isn't there something else that I should, you know, and doubt and wanting to be somewhere else and, you know, aversion towards the practice, you know? And so Dhammadina in the back, you know, neutrality when met with uh, lack of attention is often disagreeable. And then uh, paying attention suddenly stepping might become something full with the full attention, you know, not an attention that is partly wanting to be somewhere else or, you know, but fully giving attention. And I think many of us have experienced this this week of something extremely uh, simple can become uh, and anyway, I'm saying this partly because I think, certainly in my life, I've, I've been, uh, I felt that I've been able to uh, nourish. Re I'm actually, I'm saying this and I'm really thankful. That there's many things that um, were neutral and unseen, would lead to kind of confusion, not, not, not met, you know. That now it's a... a, a uh, more quality awareness, 
um, suddenly there's a richness possible in a moment of transition where, you know, in between two things where it's neutral. Suddenly, whoops, I wake up, you know, and uh, I don't know, opening a door, um, many little things like this where my mind would usually be worrying or projecting in some ways, hooked in some ways that are not helpful for me. Now uh, it's possible to refresh the mind in many ways through little neutral things. The quality of the connection with water running on the hands, you know, and, and so, and this uh, kind of refreshment gives me energy to actually meet the different challenges. It's uh, extremely small things that turn out to be actually extremely important things, especially if there's something happening that is difficult uh, to be able to touch on something neutral, recognize that it's happening when I would usually miss it, you know? So this situation is really stressful, but I feel the feet on the ground. So it widened the, the reality instead of being just the reality of this misunderstanding Suddenly there's this too, and the mind can refresh itself a little bit in the touch of the feet. Neutral, but uh, neutral well met is uh, stabilizing. So I'll play by the rules. And um, this was a few words. We could do a month-long retreat on that particular theme because it's a rich, uh, very rich theme uh, for human beings. I cede my time to you. You can go on. Huh? I cede cede my time to you. You can continue. How much time? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. No, no. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) so, um, this, so one of the things that you might notice when uh, we return to our lives. Uh, and it was happening probably here, as uh, also that when we meet what is difficult, so what's the tendency of the mind is to, you know, collapse, uh, you know, become tight, uh, lash out, uh, think something is wrong. So there's a clinging also to what is unpleasant. And uh, it might be Dhammadina or the Buddha or both of them, uh, we say, not only this, when we meet something that is difficult, we close down and uh, get aversive in some way, but also human beings untrained, not knowing what to do with what is difficult, they tend to actually look for pleasure, 
to avoid, you know, so that's their immediate response. So compulsion, addiction kicks in there, you know, bad news, ice cream, <laughs> you know, um, you know, or any other things that, uh, and so we can see this in action, how we'll deny what's happening to look for a hit of pleasure because we don't know what else to do, you know. And in the development of practice, we learn actually, and that's what we've been doing here, learning to actually meet what is difficult with uh, all the qualities we've been developing, courage, uh, steadiness of uh, mind, perseverance, patience, determination. All these qualities can come and uh, help us meet what is difficult. There's one teacher, uh, Zenju Earthling Manuel. Some of uh, you know this teacher. Um, I've been very, very, very inspired by her uh, response to uh, what is, um, you know, disagreeable, painful, difficult. Um, So she has a book. uh, The title is uh, The Way of Tenderness. And in that, she talks about um, turning with complete tenderness towards what is difficult. And for her, uh, it's, um, uh, you know, being black in a a society uh, that uh, is... uh, where white is seen as supreme, you know. It's uh, being queer in a heteronormative uh, uh, environment. Uh, it's being a woman in uh, 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 a society dominated uh, by male. And so these uh, profoundly disturbing, painful, uh, realities, encounters, situations of uh, invisibility, of uh, uh, projection, a total mistaken projection on one, on uh, uh, norming, uh, aggressive, violent, or quote-unquote subtle normings. You know, so all these things, all these events uh, happening uh, she describes uh, a response developing, cultivating a response of complete uh, tenderness, a way to feel, um, I mean, the way of tenderness, that's the title of the book. <laughs> she does a better job at me of describing uh, this. Uh, it's actually a teacher that I've uh, read a number of things from and never had the chance to meet, who lives in the Bay Area. Um, And so, complete tenderness, compassion, to me it's still very mysterious, this alchemy of, you know, taking what is hard and having the ability to make it something that is uh, tender, you know, that tenderizes the heart and becomes a, a vehicle for awakening 
in this way. And so here's, you know, how it's possible to meet what is uh, difficult, painful, um, probably decades of uh, practice, research, exploration. Um, maybe I'll just finish with... Um, So in the development of practice, it seems also that uh, uh, there's a valuing of different kinds of pleasure. We already have that in our lives, but the pleasure of, at the sense doors is one kind of pleasure. And there's another kind of beauty or richness, to use other words, that uh, comes from uh, kindness, for example. Um, so it's a different, more s- subtle... Um, kind of generosity, honesty. So there's a whole field of feeling tones of pleasure, displeasure, and neutrality that are um, very wholesome. I'll ma- name like a, a kind of displeasure that is onward leading. So if I've done something harmful to somebody and I'm able to have the feedback loop open so that I can feel, become aware that there was hurt. Uh, done, and if I don't fall in the trap of uh, guilt, self-hatred, and not in the extreme also of denial or irresponsibility, but right there in the middle, the feedback loop of feeling the repercussion, the echoes, there's been harm done, you know, so this is unpleasant, no? But it's known to be one of the guardians uh, of the world or of ethics. And so in practice, we learn to actually feel the displeasure of um, spiritual remorse, we could call it. And so be visited by this displeasure, knowing that it will be onward leading. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's tricky because it could also be the displeasure of guilt, guilt tripping, like uh, Tara talked about yesterday, kind of a shame that has hatred in itself, hatred. And so one is entangling self-hatred and one is liberating. If there's something that I have done and I'm able to feel the repercussion, whoa, mistaken uh, way to talk or to act. Uh, so, yeah, so some of these thought, thoughts around the pleasure, displeasure, neutrality that is a river flowing in our life constantly that is worth uh, taking, uh, becoming interested in. Okay. Thank you for considering all this. You think it's enough? Okay. So did you feel? You know, if you laughed because there was a pleasure that appeared, it did this wave, bubble-like thing. It's, uh, it's alive in this way, and in the 
next, uh, so we'll take about half an hour now to uh, maybe walk in the evening and just notice the variations, you know, in, the, in that experience as it's happening and the way it's met tenderly or hook fully. That's the form it took. Yeah, we'll sit for a few minutes then. You want notice if there is uh, the presence of a, a pleasurable phenomena as you're sitting here. In the body or in the environment, the coolness, the sweetness of the night. If you recognize something of that uh, nature, see if you can be allowed, you can be known simply, directly. same way if there's uh, something happening in the heart or anywhere else in your experience that is uh, disagreeable. Notice if the mind is contracting around this, rejecting, or if it's able to allow it to be there. pain, tension, or unsettledness of some sort. Or it might be that things are quite neutral in there. Does it make you want to depart or Does it lead to confusion? Why are we doing this? Nothing's happening. Is it possible to touch or be touched by a phenomena that is neither pleasant nor unpleasant? 
can we be in the devastated heart? With a calm presence, caring presence. And we be in the beautiful mind state. Without trying to keep it or own it. Just experiencing it fully. If not much seems to be happening, can it be okay that life took this form right now? Can it be experienced? One teacher said, uh, the mind, the heart are vast. In there can come armies, butterflies, or nothing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.